The following episode of Annals on Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and participants during this episode are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the American College of Physicians, the editors of Annals of Internal Medicine, or the institutions that the speakers are affiliated with unless so identified. All relevant financial relationships have been mitigated. Information contained herein should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment. For more episodes, links to CME and MOC, or to view disclosures, visit go.annals.org slash on-call. I've seen kind of a broader drop in influenza vaccination coverage, not, not just within specific populations, but maybe more, more broadly across the population. Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. This episode of Annals on Call features an article titled Communicating the Value of Influenza Vaccines in Patients, Translating Vaccine Effectiveness to Acceptance. Joining us on the podcast are two physicians at the Centers for Disease Control, Mark Tenaford, who's medical officer in the Influenza Division, and Fatima Dawood, who's also a medical officer an epidemiologist in the influenza division. We hope that this podcast gives you more information on how to talk to patients about influenza vaccination. Well, Mark and Fatima, thank you so much for joining the podcast. This opinion piece that you wrote uh, really struck home to me. While I don't do outpatient medicine anymore, I do more inpatient. I did for 20 years try to convince people to get influenza vaccines. And I was pretty good at it, but not as good as I'd want to. And I was really glad to see that you were trying to help us better convince uh, our patients to get influenza vaccination. So maybe what you could start out with is what's the problem? I mean, how many people are getting the vaccine? How many people are not getting the vaccine? And then we can talk about what the implications are of that. I think we've we've gone through a lot of sort of changes during the the COVID nineteen pandemic. So I think it's it's useful maybe just to start out with some some numbers up front just to really really describe. I think um, so. Flu really has a large public health impact in the the decade before the COVID nineteen pandemic. We estimated at CDC that there were around nine to forty one million symptomatic uh, flu illnesses uh, per year, and up to twelve to fifty two thousand deaths that occurred. Uh, annually due to due to the flu in the US. So I think we we saw a bit of a reprieve from from flu kind of during the start of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. But then we saw flu start to to tick up a little bit um, over the 2021-22 flu season. And then uh, last season, I think we saw a lot of media about the the triple demic where we saw a lot of really uh, early intense circulation of of flu coupled with with SARS-CoV-2 and RSV and other respiratory viruses. So I think we're we're in an interesting situation here where really for the first time ever, we have effective vaccines against sort of the big three respiratory viruses. We have um, flu vaccines, which are 
are updated uh, each year and recommended for those six year six months of age and older uh, updated monovalent COVID-19 vaccines, as well as RSV vaccines, which are available to, to certain adult populations. So I think starting there, I think getting to the, the problem uh, is that, you know, vaccines are, are not a, an effective preventive strategy of people if people don't take them. So during the decade before the, the COVID-19 pandemic, we we really saw that that flu vaccine coverage really rarely exceeded 50% in young adults or around 70% in older adults who we, we typically think about as being at increased risk for severe uh, complications from flu. Over the course of that decade, we we saw uh, flu vaccination coverage, which sort of generally remained pretty steady or, or increased a little bit. But since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, we've we've started to see kind of a a backslide in coverage. So initially, we um, from surveys and other reports, we saw um, groups like children and, and pregnant people had sort of lower coverage, as well as individuals in certain you know raci- racial and ethnic minority populations. So this has really accelerated, I think, over the past season. So last month, um, the CDC actually issued a health alert about an urgent need to increase immunization coverage for flu as we have seen kind of a broader drop in influenza vaccination coverage, not not just within specific populations, but maybe more more broadly across the population, along with with lower coverage of COVID-19 and RSV vaccines. And so we thought that this was really an important point to 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 bring up. If you look at um, national survey data, uh, common reasons cited for a lack of uh, influenza and other vaccines is a lack of provider recommendation for vaccination, as well as some concerns about issues around safety uh, and side effects of, of vaccines. I've recently had a couple of influenza patients on my inpatient service. Uh, so I know that influenza is um, out there and people are getting it. How bad is influenza? I think sometimes people think, oh, it's just the flu. And yet it does have both morbidity and mortality. Maybe you can share some of the uh, statistics on morbidity and mortality, and then we can go to the randomized control trials as well as the as as well as the studies that are observational about how the influenza vaccine really does decrease both morbidity and mortality. But let, let's try to put that in context with some numbers. Yeah, I, I think like in, in my previous response, if we look at the, we really see see a range of manifestations for, for flu. I mean, uh, you know, again, each year we we typically see around, you know, 10 to 40 million uh, cases of, of symptomatic flu, several hundred thousand hospitalizations and uh, up to, to ten, tens of thousands of deaths from flu. As far as the, the causes of morbidity and mortality, you know, I, I think Flu is 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 really complex. We, you know, it can it can cause damage to the body through through different mechanisms, including uh, direct uh, effects of the virus, as well as uh, inflammatory or or immune effects, both through our innate and adaptive immune system. So when we think about really the spectrum of illness with flu, really there's the whole range from infection to to posse symptomatic illness to mild illness to really more severe manifestations of of influenza. When we think about some of the the common the most common severe complication from flu is pneumonia, you know, as a, a respiratory virus, um, which can be a viral pneumonia, mixed pneumonia, it can be um, a secondary bacterial pneumonia, which can can lead to further life threatening complications like bacterial sepsis or organ failure or death. 
The flu can also trigger exacerbations of, of chronic health conditions like asthma or diabetes or heart failure. And, you know, again, looking at the more severe spectrum of disease, acute cardiovascular events occur in more than 10% of adults who are hospitalized with flu. People can also experience some less common immune or inflammatory sequelae like myocarditis or, or encephalitis. So we, when we think about risk groups, you know, the groups at highest risk for severe complications from, from flu, and I think as as internists know, are really those at the extremes of age, um, individuals with certain high-risk conditions such as heart or lung disease, pregnant people, those with the weakened immune systems, or members of certain racial or ethnic uh, minority groups. So I think in, in leading into sort of how we think about discussing the, the benefits of, of influenza, I think a, a really important point to emphasize is there's there's really a balance of morbidity and mortality in different risk groups. And, and this is really key for individualizing um, our communication with patients. So we see um, you know, higher mortality from flu in older adults or, or those with certain types of uh, chronic medical conditions. So the benefits in these groups are maybe, maybe more obvious. But when we, we look at, for example, young and healthy adults, they can also get hospitalized for flu, even if most of them will, will recover within several days. But, you know, so in this population, in addition to not wanting to feel really lousy with flu for a few days, I think there's there's other important reasons to get vaccinated, like avoiding uh, doctor's visits or miss school or work and, you know, protecting uh, loved ones or other, you know, vulnerable populations that we may be, be exposed to in, in our, our daily life. So it seems to be controversial, at least amongst patients, if not amongst some of my colleagues, as to how effective the vaccines are. And I know there's some randomized control trials and some observational data, and maybe you could share some of that with us. So routine influenza vaccination is, has been recommended, at least for some high-risk groups since 1960, and for really nearly everybody starting at six months of age since 2010. You're, you're right. So it, the, the evidence base is really a mix of, um, of randomized control trials as well as observational studies. So when we look back, a lot of these these more historic randomized control trials in in older adults or other other risk groups would compare influenza vaccination to placebo arms or no intervention, and and a lot of these studies provided an evidence base that that flu vaccines reduce the risk of of influenza. Another important thing to note is that that circulating flu viruses are are constantly changing, so there's a need to update our vaccines and also to to monitor their effective effectiveness regularly. So. So vaccine effectiveness can really vary from season to season. When we look at RCTs, these placebo-controlled RCTs are really no longer ethically justified. So most of our evidence for how well vaccines work from season to season come from uh, real-world observational studies, which can use a variety of, of methods. Typically, uh, during seasons when the vaccine is well-matched to circulating viruses, um, vaccine effectiveness is typically around 40 to 60% in younger adults, although this may be lower, for example, in older adults or people with immunocompromising conditions or during seasons when the vaccine is not uh, maybe as well matched to circulating viruses. Okay, so now we have the data, but how do we convince patients? And uh, one of the things that you described really nicely in this article is the SHARE strategy. And uh, Fatima, maybe you could tell us a little bit about SHARE. It's important to remember that we have a large body of evidence now in the United States as well as globally that show that a healthcare professional's strong recommendation 
is a critical factor in whether or not patients get an influenza vaccine. So CDC has developed the SHARE method as one tool to help healthcare professionals incorporate key information into conversations about vaccination with their patients as part of making that strong recommendation. SHARE is a mnemonic where each letter in the word is a reminder of elements to include in conversations with patients about vaccination. So the S in SHARE stands for share the reasons why an influenza vaccine is right for the patient, given his or her age, health status, lifestyle, occupation, or other risk factors. The H stands for highlight, as in highlight positive experiences with influenza vaccine. That can be personal or experiences in your practice. And these are meant to reinforce the benefits and strengthen confidence in influenza vaccination. A stands for address, as in address patient questions and any concerns about flu vaccines, including side effects, safety, vaccine effectiveness, and be sure to do so in plain and understandable language. The R tells us to remind, as in remind patients that influenza vaccines can help protect them and their loved ones against influenza and its complications. And lastly, E stands for explain, as in explain the potential costs of getting the flu. That can include potential serious health effects for the patient, time loss, such as missed work or family obligations, financial costs, and potentially spreading flu to more vulnerable family or friends. The sheer mnemonic can be particularly helpful to those discussing vaccination in the busy clinic or hospital setting, as it allows us to incorporate a breadth of information efficiently into the conversation. It's important though to remember that this is a conversation starter with patients. Some patients are gonna be ready to receive vaccine immediately. Others will have questions or concerns that require follow-up conversation and more tailored responses. So people above 65 are much more likely to get the vaccine. Although I've had plenty of patients say, well, I'm not gonna take the vaccine because I had a friend who got flu when they took the vaccine. Younger people are less likely to even be at a physician's office. And how do we convince the 40 and 50-year-olds that it's a good idea to take the vaccine? And what, what are the large benefits for them? So younger adults, meaning those 18 to 64 years of age, make up roughly 60% of the U.S. population. And then within this age group, at least a quarter of that age, um, younger adult age group have at least one underlying medical condition that already confers an increased risk for severe flu outcomes, such as hospitalization. So we know for those with high risk conditions, flu vaccination is critically important to reduce the risk of severe influenza outcomes. But flu vaccination is also important for that other group of younger adults, those who don't have high risk medical conditions for at least several reasons. First, although the risk for severe flu in younger adults without underlying medical conditions is lower than for those with underlying medical conditions in older adults, 65 and older, that risk is not zero. Every year we know young healthy adults without known risk factors for severe flu are hospitalized with influenza and even have critical illness or other severe outcomes. Second, this younger adult age group bears the highest burden of influenza with respect to lost productivity. So more lost work in school days. And lastly, by getting vaccinated against influenza, this younger healthy adult age group reduces their own risk of getting sick with flu. And that can in turn reduce the risk that they might pass flu to a loved one who is at higher risk for severe outcomes. It's also important to note that younger adults in this group historically have had the lowest rates of influenza vaccination in the United States. Only about half of adults in this group get vaccinated yearly. And this is based on data from uh, pre-pandemic seasons as well as the more recent seasons since the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Also, as Dr. 1040 noted earlier, we've seen drops in vaccination coverage across the general U.S. population for influenza vaccines, but particularly in this younger adult age group. So as the accompanying com commentary notes, conversations about flu vaccine are likely to be most effective if healthcare professionals individualize those discussions about flu risks and benefits. And I think this is particularly important in conversations with younger adults who may not otherwise recognize the need to get an annual flu vaccine. Great. So what questions did I not ask that I should have? From my perspective, I think we covered a lot and, and a lot of the key points we hope to convey. Mark, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think so as well. Is there anything else you'd like to, to cover? I, I think that, that we've done a really good job. Let's see if I can summarize a little bit. Uh, we have good flu vaccines. There are risks in not taking it. And it's our job as physicians, whether we're in the hospital and have access to being able to give someone a vaccine when they leave the hospital or in the outpatient setting to bring up vaccination for a variety of, of uh, respiratory viruses, but in particular influenza, because it hasn't slowed down and it does cause significant morbidity and mortality. Thank you both so much for joining us on the podcast and uh, making much more clear uh, the benefits uh, of getting influenza vaccine and the risks of not getting it. Thank you very much uh, for having us. Thank you. Now it's time for Bob's Pearls. This discussion and article provide me and hopefully many other physicians with good data on how often influenza vaccine is being used and what the positive impact is of vaccination. This is a challenging problem for both uh, inpatient and outpatient physicians. The CDC has suggested a share mnemonic to try to help convince patients that flu vaccination is worthwhile we hope that uh, this podcast has helped you in your uh, daily interaction with patients. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Information contained herein should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment. For more episodes, links to CME and MOC, or to view disclosures, visit go.annals.org slash on call.